You're listening to New York Pacific, brought to you by your own free will. Tonight's episode, look upon your own damn works. Oh wait, you can't, you're dead. Looks forward to looking back on how you were looking at the time. All right, check the power. I don't feel right about this. It's right, okay? Power's good. We ready for this? Don't you go soft on me, Thompson. It's now or never. Aren't we playing God? Get it together, Thompson. Williams, hit the power. It's go time. I am become life. I hate when people misuse quotes. Dear God, it worked. Of course it worked. Williams, you genius. Here he is. Come here, you beautiful bastard. Mon Dieu, où suis-je? Est-ce que vous êtes? Uh, okay, what? Qu'est-ce que c'est? Anglais? What? What? Alexander Dumas, let me be the first to welcome you to the 21st century. <laughs> the 21st century? <gasps> Le 21 siècle? We brought you here, you literary genius. We, oui, Monsieur Dumas, we brought you here for a mission. You see, Monsieur, your legacy is unparalleled in its way. Mon uh, legacy? Yes, your novels, for what they are. Well, they're an inspiration. Inspiration? Mes histoires? Histoire has come to life, monsieur. Histoire means story, Miss Smith. I don't care what it means. All I know is that Monsieur Dumas is here. With the lightning strike, we've brought him to life, and now lightning is going to strike again. You brought me here to... to write? Yes. For you see, we work for Mars Candy Bar Corporation. Candy Bar? Yes, Candy Bars. Oh, Les Bonbons. Oui, Les Bonbons. And the Three Musketeers Bar is consistently one of our best sellers. The only problem is, we cannot seem to replicate its success. Les Trois Musketeers, c'est un bonbon. A very good bonbon, monsieur. Chocolate and whipped, not nougat exactly. More chocolate. Well, a chemical compound that's like chocolate. That's enough, Williams. Monsieur, we need another good name for a candy bar. Something that evokes swashbuckling, calorie-be-damned era of years gone by. We knew there was only one man for the job. C'est moi? Now he's getting it. Uh, Where is uh, my wife? And uh, mes enfants. Oh, oh, they're long dead. Uh, And so were you, but a moment ago. More? Moi? I don't... (gasps) My femme? Mes enfants? Oh, no, we were worried about this. Shut up, Thompson. No, monsieur. If we could just focus on the task at hand. We've got some puffed rice, peanuts... No! (laughs) He's gonna need a tissue or something. He's putting French snot all over my power suit. We've got to cheer him up. Tell him something good. Ah, someone, cheer him up. Cheer the sad luminary of Francophone literature up. Uh, Monsieur, you'll be happy to know that we still read and revere your work. That's good. Keep it up. Uh, uh, and it gets adapted into movies with some regularity, and there's comic books and video games of it. Qu'est-ce que c'est, uh, Movies? Video games? <laughs> he doesn't know what any of those things are. Uh, your other book 
is now a very popular sandwich. Sandwich? Uh, uh-huh. Uh, we take a ham and cheese sandwich and fry it, and it's called a Monte Cristo. The Comte Monte Cristo at un sandwich? Quel horror. <laughs> Great work, dumbass. Yes, we do much. We know who you are. Is now a good time to tell him that his homeland of Haiti is the poorest country in the hemisphere? Let's <laughs> make it Around the radio, boys and girls. Do you hear that? Of course not, for silence is the signature style of that secretive super sleuth, The Shade. We pick up from where we left off before our last commercial break. That voluptuous, investigative vixen, Vicky Valentine, who happens to hold the heart of our hero, is perilously held prisoner in the perverted palace of that pernicious PhD, Professor Poison. What will be the fate of our favorite female? What does this maniacal madman have in mind? Who can hear the enmity that lurks in the silence between words? The Shade hears. Oh, you'll never get away with this, Professor Poison. The Shade will stop whatever diabolical scheme you're up to. Oh, I wouldn't be too sure of that, Miss Valentine. My polio bomb is set to blow in the capital at midnight. And then whatever plan the Shade has to stop me won't have any legs. <laughs> You're going to infect the whole city with polio? You're insane, Professor Poison. Insane! Flattery will get you nowhere. Well, I'm afraid you're going to get flattened right here because the shade is right behind you. Impossible! I don't hear anyone. Ah, there he is, the so-called taciturn Templar of Truth himself. You're too late to stop my plans this time, Shade. What do you have to say about that? So you remain the strong and quiet type even in the face of danger. Well, let's see if my henchmen, the toxic team, and their tommy guns can get you to talk. Ah, bullets can't touch the Shade. He can evade them with his silent somersault. Curses! Don't be averred by his agile acrobatics, my associates! Keep firing! Looks like your plan is backfiring against all of his backflips! His legendary gymnastics of justice are truly a sight to behold! But sooner or later he'll wear out and the day will be mine! Can the Shade's gymnastic prowess save the day? Find out after a word from our sponsors. And cut to commercial. The president of the network, what are you doing here in the audio control room? I rushed here because it sounds like there's a problem with the recording of our Big Pulp Hero show. Namely, our Big Pulp Hero isn't making any sounds. Well, there's nothing wrong with the recording or any of the equipment. You mean he's deliberately not saying anything? Why the hell not? Oh, I can answer that, sir. I should hope my head writer knows what's going on. Well, do you remember when you stormed into the writer's room this morning and uh, demanded that we write, rehearse, record, and broadcast a new pulp radio show in one day to compete with The Shadow for ratings? Yeah. Everyone loves The Shadow. 
I don't know why all of our listeners are tuning into stories about a guy who turns invisible, but if we didn't come up with something quick, the next thing that's going to disappear is our sponsors. Uh, well, there wasn't a lot of time for quality control to meet that deadline. We kind of went with the first idea we had, and we figured that the coolest part of the shadow is you can't see him. He's completely invisible. So, you know, maybe it would be cool to have a hero who's, you know, completely silent. He'd be like... The perfect spy! A completely silent hero? On a radio show? Oh yeah, such an interesting backstory though. He studied the silent ways of ninjutsu in the Orient. After years of wandering the French countryside with the world's most famous pantomime troupe. Who cares about all of that if there's no way we can communicate it to the listeners? Why did you at least include a narrator to tell the audience what's happening? I didn't want to have to spell everything out. I think my writing speaks for itself. Well, it doesn't so far, and neither does the hero who is supposed to save the day and our network. We're, we're coming back from a commercial. Oh, it gets really good in this next part. You know, why don't we just see how things play out? That's the thing you don't seem to understand about this medium. We can't see anything. Welcome back, listeners, to the conclusion of tonight's episode of... The Shade. Shade, be careful. Professor Poison has a trap. Yes, he is more henchman in hiding. I think ten or so. What is she responding to? Oh, he learned sign language Jesus. from a- Jesus! Oh my god. The only sign I see is a big one that says- Bankrupt. That's enough out of the doomed damsel in distress. This gag ought to do the trick. Shade, listen, he has a bomb. He... You gagged <laughs> one of the two speaking characters? You're too late, Shade. The bomb is voice activated. I need only speak the code words and the whole city will be infected with polio. The vocal sequence is venom. Outbreak! Pain! What just happened? Did the sound cut out? No, like I said, the tools are running just fine. Oh, oh, this is just another one of the Shade's powers. He has a lasso of listening that, when wrapped around someone, removes their powers of speech. He got it So from all a- the three main characters are completely silent? The only remaining people capable of speech... Our nameless henchmen? Not for long. The best part is coming up. I don't get it. What What happened? The shade just pole vaulted across the room and turned out the lights. How was anyone supposed to know that? And why would you turn out the lights? Now people can't even describe what they see. Well, the audience should be able to infer that... How? He- How? Where do they get that information to know that? Huh? The only thing we're... Infer is trouble. What the hell is going on now? Oh, those are two more of the Shade's powers. He can see in the dark and punch really fast. So now he's running around the darkness and punching out Professor Poison and his toxic team. Oh, is that what's happening? Because what it sounds like is a group of men who are fucking each other. And the listeners have no context to tell them otherwise. Jesus Christ, how long does this go on? 
thank you for removing that gag shade. Holy mackerel, you tackled the entire toxic team. Hey, you look like you have something to say. Oh God, finally. But you don't need to. That look in your eyes says it all. God damn it. It's like they always say, actions speak louder than... Oh, great, great. More silence. What happened now? Some kind of noise cancellation ray? Or did they suddenly start practicing silent meditation? Or some other dumb shit? Oh, actually, this isn't in the script. Sorry, this time it's a technical problem. Oh, it. Thus concludes this terrific tribute to the golden age of radio plays. Can our humble sketch comedy podcast live up to the tradition of audio storytelling set forth by our radio forebears? Keep listening to find out. For our next sketch, we now take you to a mead hall. Once upon a time. Hey, pal. Having a good night? Oh, glad to hear it. Oh, me? Yeah, I'm having a good night. I'm always having a good night. <laughs> I guess you might say I'm touched. I've been able to spin the worst shit they can throw at you in the gold. Here, let me get you a drink. I'll tell you about it. Barky, a couple of meads for me and uh, me and my friend over here. Well, a couple of years back, quite a few at this point, I guess, I happened to go speak to the king. Yeah, that's right. The big man himself, the throne sitter extraordinaire, and I... Oh, here's the mead. You like mead, right? Sure you do. We all like mead. Anyway, where was I? Mm. Oh yeah, the king. So we're chatting, and I just... I don't even know where this comes from. I mentioned out of my hand that my daughter can spin straw into gold. What? I don't even know what got into me. I just sometimes used to, well, bullshit, I guess. But that's the God's honest truth. Well, you can imagine how interesting the king found this little factoid to be. I mean, the man's rich. How was I supposed to know he was going to be so interested in this? And frankly, between the two of us? If he's so smart, he should have figured out I was full of shit. Because <laughs> if I got a daughter who's been straw in the gold, oh, what am I doing still being a miller? <laughs> doing it for fun? <laughs> Man's got a crown between you and me and the in floor here. That's about all that's up there. Oh, I'm bad. Anyway... So the king won't let this go. He really fixates on the idea of my daughter. My daughter turning straw into gold. And I keep telling him that I've got a son who can multiply any two numbers, a goat that can play the harp, oh yeah, and a horse that makes love more capably than I. It's the, the straw to gold thing. One track mine, sorry. And he's our king. Yeah, so... So he goes and takes her, just straight up takes my daughter to his castle. Real wacky stuff, if you ask me. Oh, oh, yeah, I don't know. I guess she did it. Yeah, the, the details, they ain't so uh, clear to me either. But the king was gonna and cut off a damn head if she did it. Oh, and she still got a head, so... I'm just so glad that my position as queen affords me the finest therapy that gold can buy. 
I, I can trace back the anxiety attacks to one day, in fact. The king, my now husband, came to my house and took me to the palace. I, I know probably that when most women talk about seeing their husband for the first time, it's a positive experience. But for me, that day was pretty much the second worst day of my life. Well, top five, anyway. I, I know it sounds crazy, but the king took me to the palace, and he told me... He told me to spin straw into gold. Where does he even get an idea that that's even possible? Straw is a grass. Gold is a mineral that you have to mine. I mean, even a cursory knowledge of the elements involved. And the worst part is that this man, who I eventually wed, tells me that unless I do something, something that, let's be clear, is impossible, he's, he's going to kill me. Now, I live with this man and... He otherwise seems so stable, especially for someone as inbred as a member of a royal bloodline, must me. But I've never been able to shake that at a certain point in the past, he seems to have lost his damn mind. And I'm worried that at some point he's, he's just going to demand something else insane and impossible and there won't happen to be someone who can defy the known laws of the universe for him and that will be it for me. What? Oh, yeah, well, to hear her tell it, someone else actually did the work for her. So I guess my luck really runs in the family. Don't ask me how he does it. He's probably just swapping out the straw for something else, or else he's turning it into some straw-based facsimile of a precious metal. But even that strikes me as... Anyway, he did the spinning. However he did it, he saved my life. But, and this leads to the worst day of my life... I don't know, uh, some guy did it. I forget his name. He did all the spinning. So my daughter's pretty lucky, like I say. She really, uh, gets it from me. It was a nightmare. Every night I feared for my life each night the little man returned. I started by giving him my necklace and then my ring, and then that was the only way I was sure he was real, because they were gone. For God's sake, the little man, he spins the straw in the gold. That's his thing. I don't know what he charges, but he, like, uh, he did it for, like, three more nights. But the third night, he demanded my firstborn child. Of course, at the moment, I was just shaking with terror, knowing that by the next morning, I was going to be killed, and I wasn't married, and I wasn't engaged, and I certainly wasn't pregnant. So I offered up something that wasn't real to stave off a very real threat of death. God forgive me, death seemed real. Life didn't. Oh, that's the best part! So the king thinks she can spin straw into gold, and instead of decapitating my daughter, ah, he marries her! So you can see why I'm so hard on the king, he's my son-in-law! And just as I'm trying to forget the circumstances that got me into the palace and got me with a child and a man that... I... I know this sounds crazy, but that one incident notwithstanding, the king is a good man. And... and he's a man that I love. When sure enough, the little man comes back. Yeah, that little straw spinner man swung by to see him. Oh, love that kid too. Just a, a real cute kid. And if it weren't for a very clever servant of mine who happened upon the little man performing some sort of satanic ritual and singing, literally singing, about, about taking my only child, well, he'd have him. Although telling the little man his own name, hearing his own name led him to tear himself in two. Tear himself in two. That was the final... Oh, God, 
God, I can't even say the word straw without my hand shaking. Look at them. Can you help me, doctor? Yep. Everything worked out for the best there. Huh. What the hell that little straw spinner's doing? What's his name, anyway? Tis better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. No, it's not, Satan. They're not on fire all the time in heaven. Uh, also, in Milton's Paradise Lost, Lucifer says that in an attempt to reconcile the cognitive dissonance between his pride and the fact that he was confined uh, to be in hell. Maybe not, but by coming to hell, I took the road less traveled. Maybe the road to getting stabbed by demon spears all day was less traveled because it sucks. Uh, also, the road not taken is one of the most misread poems, uh, in the world. The narrator describes both roads as being the same and admits that it is only in retelling their story that they will make it seem like taking one over the other <laughs> made any difference. I may not be a literary scholar, but at least I make the trains run on time. Ah, that's used to justify Mussolini, and they're using it sardonically? Ah, I hate misused quotes. It's torture, pure torture. <gasps> Wait. That's right, this is your personal hell for being pedantical in life. Uh, you mean pedantic? And also, is it a sin to ask people to learn the original intent of famous quotes and, I don't know, use them properly? Look, this is how people talk. Language changes over time and there's nothing anyone can do about it. To want to control how someone uses a quote is to play God. And isn't that what sin really is? Wait! wasn't pedantic in life. Why am I with him? Part of your torture is to listen to his lectures. Wait, I'm one of Hell's tortures? One of our greatest ones, in fact. After all, some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon uh, Stop it! A clown said that in a Shakespeare play uh, to deliberately inflate a false sense of ego in another character. Let me explain everything you need to understand this quote. No! Well, Janet, I just want to sit here in the Oval Office, invite you in, and tell you the one last time how glad I, Barack Obama, am that you were my advisor on experimental and crazy whacked-out science. Thanks, Mr. President. It has truly been an honor. Well, I guess you can just call me Brock. <laughs> oh, I, I, I really don't know how comfortable I'd be doing that. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that, because technically people have to call me Mr. President for the rest of my life. It's an executive thing. All us presidents get it. Well, it's been a great honor serving in your White House. You know, Janet, even though we didn't successfully, uh, you know, develop teleporting or cure climate change or make an edible Monte Cristo alternative for vegans... I'm honored that all the strides you did make were made while I was, you know, while I was the one in office. Well, the death ray has been used to great effect. Well, uh, yeah, we can probably stop chalking up the death ray to my efforts. Oh, don't be modest. You know, Janet, it's just one of those things. I'm a little, uh, what's the word? Proud. 
Um, I think you're proud of the death ray. Uh, uneasy, I think it is, with the all the death ray advances you've made during my administration. You know, what would be a Nobel Prize winner and everything. Boy, wouldn't they be surprised? Yeah, that's uh, they would be surprised. Anyway, it's just something that you know the president gets to thinking about in his final hours in office. Yeah, it's uh, his legacy. How are history books going to remember me? Oh. <laughs> You know, Mr. President, we do have a way of looking into that. What do you mean, Janet? I mean, and this is one of our most secretive advances, but we have a way of looking into one's future legacy. I won't get too much into how we did, because the internet is just only slightly more than a series of electrical pulses heading to a tube, uh, so we can see what it's going to say about you by pumping a lot of electrical pulses down at the pace of temporality. Well, there isn't too much trouble. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm curious. Great. I'll just get your laptop open here, and uh, we'll just put this little dongle on the side here. Ah, uh, USB. One of President Carter's secret scientific advances. Just keeps on giving, doesn't it, Janet? Certainly showed President Clinton's firewire what's what. Now we just look into Wikipedia. Hmm. What am I going to say? Uh, will they stress my health care law? Recovery of the economy? America's more benevolent standing in the world by way of our improved relations with Cuba and Iran? What will they say about old Barack Obama? Other than just being the first black president of these United States. Let's see here. On Wikipedia in 2154, it says Barack Obamita was the 44th president of the former United States, present-day Iran. Wait, what? Who was not at all noteworthy for being the 44th consecutive half-white president of the United States. Wait. Wait, what? Huh. Apparently you're not noteworthy because all of the presidents before you were also at least half-white presidents. What? They say what I'm not noteworthy for? Future Wikipedia can be I guess all the other presidents also had white mothers, too. Well, yeah, but... It's just what it says here. God damn it. It's kind of missing the point, isn't it? You spend your whole presidency getting ragged on for one parent, and then in 2154, after you're dead, they go and they rag on you for the other one. I guess the erasure of black excellence doesn't get solved in 2154. Or... You know, not on Wikipedia anyway. You know, we really should edit this, Jen. Oh, Mr. President, we can't tamper with the... Oh, what, the future? What did you think all that hope and change bullshit was about, Janet? That was the whole point. Tampering with the future. But this is playing God. We don't really know what interfering outside of our own timeline is going to do. You're thinking of interfering with the past. I'm not going to keep my parents from meeting or anything. On the other hand, if we could do that... You know, I think things have been hard enough for me already. All right? All right, hold that thought. I, I should take this. I'm still president and all. Uh... Oh, hey, George. Oh, hey, Barry. Still coming over to Jimmy's barbecue next week? Yeah, I'm coming. Got nothing better to do, apparently. Oh, you're going to be so glad you're done with that office, good buddy. You know, 42 and me, we're just saying, we can't wait until you get that stick out of your ass that they've jammed up there. Well, Bill said that? Hey, no, never mind. Say, 4-3, can I ask you something? Uh, Shoot, good buddy. Do you ever worry about your, uh, your legacy? <laughs> oh, uh, do I seem like somebody, uh, who worries about things? Well, it's just that I've been, you know... Oh, wait, hold on a sec. You're not looking at future Wikipedia, are you? Actually, yeah. How did, how did you know that? Oh, sure, you know. 
Janet showed me that right before I left. L look, buddy, don't worry about it. All the bad stuff you do just, you know, it gets hoisted on the next guy. Well, that's certainly been true so far. Well, hold on a sec, George. Uh, Janet, what else does it say in there? Um, it says that you shouldn't have invaded Iraq and militarized the private insurance industry that later teamed up with Iran to topple the U.S. presidency. For the love of Pete. Hey, hey, is that Janet? Tell her I say hi, would you? Yeah, I'll do that, George. I'll see you at the inauguration. Oh, it's gonna be the best day of your life, Barry. I mean that. No kidding. Oh, what? Oh, hey, yeah, wait. Oh, yeah, I'll tell him. Hey, he, uh, Dad says hi. And, uh, also, to be sure you bring some veggie options, you know, for Willie. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll get some kebabs or something. Uh, give 4-1, uh, my regards. Uh, George Bush says hi, Janet. Oh, hi, Mr. Bush! Oh, uh, I mean, Mr. President. You saw me hang up the phone, Janet. Uh... This whole future Wikipedia business has just put me in a really bad, in a bad way. Why don't you have one of your new favorite candy bars, the one we developed the technology to revive Alexander Dumas for? The nougat in the chocolate mask. Actually, you know what? That sounds, that sounds pretty nice. I guess we, uh, guess we can't control how the future remembers us. It's more important to just do the right thing in the present, you know? To thine own self be true, right? Well, that quote is, uh, you know what, never mind. All I'm saying is it would sure be nice to leave, I don't know, golden legacy some kind. And did someone say they wanted something turned into gold? Who are you? Don't worry about my, mm, name. All you need to know is I can help with your legacy afford a price. I, uh... I am not sure that Malia would like that. Maybe this flagon of mead will change your mind. And there you have it. Our 44th president, like so many of us, has the audacity to hope that the future will remember him in the historical context of the present. What adventures lie in store for him as a member of the retired President League? And what does future Wikipedia have to say about any of us? Who knows what comedy lurks in the hearts of conceptual themes? New York Pacific knows. Look upon your own damn works, oh wait, you can't, you're dead. Stars Julie Krylin, Mark X. Quinn, Nigel Harsh, Christine Konovnik, Matt Kerstetter, Melanie Milton, Ben Richmond, Kevin Tully, and Bethany Weiss. It was written by Mark Exquin and Ben Richmond and produced by Nigel Harsh and is a New York Pacific production. We'll see you next time. You won't see us.